Let's wrap up another week of midday programs here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Dirk Christensen, and we have the roundtable sitting around, getting ready to bring you up to date on what you can expect to hear. And we have Clay Patton sitting in for the Ag Team today. Clay? Exciting. Susan Littlefield, she's actually on her way to uh, Gillette, Wyoming. She's speaking at the National Columbia Sheep Sale that's going on tomorrow. So it's exciting time for her. We're excited for her to be the opening keynote speaker. Wow. she. Uh, a lot of people maybe don't know, but sheep are kind of one of Susan's big things in life. She's uh, raised a lot of them, and she does well at it. And she's even re- received the Shepherd's Voice Award, so she is a strong advocate for the sheep industry. And the uh, Ag News team, we are covering all aspects of it today, from weather to trade to producers. Of course, Shaylee's on at 1219 as she is every Friday with uh, state climatologist Al Dutch. We're hearing the latest there on weather features, what's going on. At 12.45, of course, this whole week, I have talked trade with a lot of folks. Craig Uden, Scott McFeeders, ag economist uh, Jay Rimpey. And we've discussed how exports are important, even clear down to the county and Main Street level. Today, we wrap it all up. Last night was the International Trade Town Hall in Lexington. And uh, today, we talked with Earl Linderman. He was kind of one of the proponents of getting the town hall started. So we're excited to hear kind of the wrap-up of all that. And then Bryce takes us at 117 to uh, Waverly, Nebraska, where he's talking with Andrew New Year on this Friday's In the Field. Andrew is a beginning farmer, so we're uh, excited to hear how his first crop's going. I have to ask you, is he a happy new year? I think he is a happy new Excellent. year. That's very good to know. That's Jason Jorgensen at Sports. Hey, it looks like uh, the golfers are happier at the U.S. Open. Yeah. Uh, yesterday, the the way they had the course set up and the conditions... I mean, it made pros look like you know your annual, you know your average hacker <laughs> that's kind of fun on your local eighteen. It is, and that's you know that's that's partially why the U.S. Open is so special. Is they don't want go, guys going out there, you know, knocking it around and fourteen under like you would have on your normal PGA event. Now they've been having to wipe down their clubs today a little. Too. Yeah, they've had a little drizzle, yeah. but uh, that actually that moisture is kind of softening up the uh, course a little bit. Coming up in sports, we'll be low down on where everyone stands. Also, an interesting story about a Nebraska rancher who uh, two, three years ago took up, uh, took up a, a task here of making the United States paraplegic track and field team. His name is Kevin Hefley. You might have heard of Kevin, but had a chance to get a hold of him. He's actually competing down in Arizona this weekend in the 100 and the 200-meter dashes. We'll tell you his story in just a little bit. Also, this is a good move. Uh, there in Hastings, of course, I think a couple years back, where they moved the start time of the eight-man All-Star football game back from it being an afternoon game to a six o'clock start, which looks like a good move. That's brilliant now. for tomorrow yeah. night there at Hastings College. As uh, we'll talk about the uh, eight-man All-Star football game, which happens tomorrow in Hastings. All right, the heat is on, and Bob Brogan has business. Stocks are tumbling in trading on Wall Street uh, after the administration announced tariffs on $50 billion worth of imports from China. Industrial production down a little bit in May. And uh, also, Nebraska's unemployment rate remains steady in May. Also, an outdoor power equipment company is closing its plant in southeast Nebraska. Um, And so we'll have details on that and more coming up in our business report. All right, we'll have all of the details on how the heat will affect your area on your rural radio network station. This is Midday. 
We have Paul Perkins to take a look at our regional ag weather for us this afternoon, and it's brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation. Paul? It's a kind of a world of haves and haves-nots as far as the heat goes right now. We have a lot of heat over south and eastern areas, but as you head to the north and west, temperature is right about seasonal for this time of year. You can really make out where this cold front is, basically Norfolk, to Broken Bow, North Platte, and Imperial along and northwest of that line. Those temperatures in the upper 70s to low 80s. But south of that, though, upper 80s to low 90s on the temperatures already at 1130 here. 93 at Beatrice and down there toward, uh, let's see, what would that be, Hebron? Yeah, 93 at Hebron also. Yeah, they've been the hot spot. I know they were at 87 already at 930 this morning. (laughs) We're going to send you guys some ice. Yeah, they're going to need it, yeah. Sunshine and hot weather on the way will continue today and tomorrow. It's all thanks to a big ridge of high pressure over the Southern Plains building north. Not going to see record highs, but those temperatures 15 degrees warmer than normal. Winds will remain breezy thanks to some low pressure off to our west from the Dakotas to Wyoming. The humidity making it feel close to 105 in eastern Nebraska and Kansas. Slightly lower humidity elsewhere will actually make it feel closer to the actual temperature. And then, of course, we will have these cooler conditions as you head to the north and west part of Nebraska, to the north and west of that front. And once again, that front draped from Norfolk to Broken Bow, North Platte, and Imperial, and then points to the northwest. Cooler from there. As we head, uh, some scattered thunderstorms going to be possible later today and tonight, right near that cold front that's currently stretching from north-central Nebraska to northeast Colorado. Some thunderstorms expected to fire near that front later today and tonight. Then they'll track east and gradually diminish. Sunday, not going to be quite as hot as that high-pressure high pressure ridge moves off towards the east. But by late Sunday and Sunday night, thunderstorms expected to develop along a cold front, slowly tracking to the east. Some of these storms could be severe. It looks like the greatest severe threat going to be over northern Nebraska. Uh, the next week, forecast models in pretty good agreement, bringing some low pressure onto the plains. That will increase our rain chances and also give us some cooler than normal temperatures. A big break from the heat on the way. In the long term, temperatures most likely to start up to start to warm up later next week. The current forecast indicates mostly warmer than normal temperatures the last half of next week through June 28th. Near normal rainfall expected for Nebraska Wednesday through June 28th. Above normal rainfall forecast for Kansas Wednesday through the 28th. Key weather factors driving the markets include hot Midwest weekend weather and dry conditions in certain Russia crop areas. Hot, humid weather will persist across the Midwest through the weekend, but much cooler air will gradually overspread the plains. Moisture associated with former Hurricane Bud will produce locally heavy rain in the southwest U.S. before interacting with the cold front and helping to spark some rain across the northern part of the U.S. Right now, it looks like Hurricane Bud will move north from New Mexico and then on into the northern plains just to our north and west. So the bulk of the moisture from this going to be from Wyoming on into the Dakotas with Hurricane Bud early next week. The favorable soil moistures in most of the Midwest will diminish with that hot and dry weather over the weekend. That will be replaced by a new round of rain next week and some moderating temperatures. Very hot and mostly dry weather across the southern plains will maintain high stress on developing summer crops while favoring the mature wheat and wheat harvest over the weekend. An increase in rain, though, is expected next week across the southern plains along with more seasonal temperatures. Across the Black Sea region, increasing rains in west and central Ukraine will help to ease their stress to developing corn and soybeans. But eastern Ukraine and south Russia will remain hotter and drier into the next week. 
You know how odd it sounds to hear you saying <laughs> Hurricane Bud in the Intermountain West. Yeah, there, don't you? <laughs> yeah, it's a unique deal here. Yeah, the leftovers of it moving just to our west and north. So the bulk of the rain off to our west and north with that. Really, listen to this. Bud's for you. And this <laughs> forecast has been brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your ranky dealer. I've got a great idea here. As I was sitting here and hearing you talk about the heat that's expected. Yes. Um, the Fun and Games Department is always <laughs> looking for new ideas. Yes. I'm thinking the rural radio sweatband <laughs> is something we have to include in our arsenal. Yeah, we may have to, especially with the events that we've got going on tonight in Oxford and, of course, yeah. uh, tomorrow in Ravana for Anavar <laughs> and the tractor pull there. All right, folks. Well, brace yourselves and be ready for it uh, when you need weather anytime. KRVN.com. Trump sets $50 billion in China tariffs with Beijing ready to strike back. I'm Shaley Peters joining you now on the Rural Radio Network. Let's take a midday look at that ag news. U.S. President Donald Trump announced hefty tariffs on $50 billion of Chinese imports today as Beijing threatened to respond in kind in a move that looks set to ignite a trade war between the world's two largest economies. Trump, whose hardline stance on trade has led him to wrangle with allies, said in a statement that a 25% tariff would be imposed on a list of strategically important imports from China. He also vowed further measures if Beijing struck back. The United States will pursue additional tariffs if China engages in retaliatory measures, such as imposing new tariffs on United States goods, services, or agricultural exports or agricultural products, raising non-tariff barriers, or taking punitive actions against American exporters or American companies operating in China, Trump said in a statement. Earlier on Friday, China vowed to do just that, saying it would strike back just hours before Trump's statement. Trump has already said the United States would hit another $100 billion of Chinese imports if Beijing retaliated. Washington and Beijing appear increasingly headed toward a trade war after several rounds of negotiations failed to resolve U.S. complaints over Chinese industrial policy, market access, and a $375 billion trade gap. And EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt stopped in Lincoln yesterday. Alice Wojtowski has an update. Administrator Pruitt joined Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts and nearly two dozen members of the Common Sense Nebraska Coalition for a roundtable discussion on waters of the U.S. where Pruitt announced... Tomorrow we're actually releasing the replacement definition of the Waters United States rule. Uh, and so it's going to provide the clarity to farmers and ranchers and folks all over the country with respect to how federal jurisdiction, where it begins and where it ends. Of course, renewable fuels were destined to be brought up. Pruitt, who's been under a lot of heat from ag groups and ethanol supporters recently, said, I am for the E15. I think it should occur. I think it makes no sense whatsoever for this country to face a situation where you can only sell a product nine months a year. You know, you should be able to do it 12 months a year, and that's going to help volume obligations. I want you to know that, and I've been there several months. Administrator Pruitt also made stops in Kansas and South Dakota earlier this week. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Alex Wojcicki. And of course, we're back this week with Fridays in the Field, and it takes us to Waverly in the southeast part of the state. Bryce Duskett has more. Andrew New Year is in his first growing season as a full-time producer. 
He notes starting out as a beginning farmer has its challenges. Um, the biggest challenge is probably financial. Um, going to the bank, getting some loans, and then, um, like I've done all the manual labor and stuff before, but the decision making is probably a bigger thing that I haven't really thought about before. What seeds to buy, what chemicals to buy, who to buy them from, what fertilizer to put on. As for planting in this area of the state, it all went fairly smooth. Didn't have any major breakdowns. We got everything in. We were a little late started, uh, as most people were across the state, but we got everything wrapped up, um, corn and soybeans both, by early May. With little irrigation, it now becomes a waiting game for rain. Our topsoil moisture is a little short. We've got a little bit um, underneath that's making those corn roots stretch way down, which would be really good for the plant. Um, we we're, we're not quite there yet, but we're a little bit abnormally dry as far as the drought monitor goes. You can hear Andrew's full comments and see a video at ruralradio.com. I'm Bryce Duskett reporting. You're listening to Ag News on the Rural Radio Network. Shaley Peters back with you, and it's time again this week to visit with Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist Al Dutcher. And Al, man, did somebody turn the furnace up after a few cool days earlier in the week. What can we expect weather-wise headed into this weekend and next week? Well, I think the biggest issue is going to be the impacts of Hurricane Bud moving up the Baja Peninsula and then getting entrained that moisture into the southwest and pulled northward with that upper air low to our west-northwest that sits over the central Great Basin region. And what this will do is allow moisture advection through the southern Rockies up around the periphery of the ridge that is bringing the heat to our region. And that ridge is expected to remain fairly stationary for the next couple days. So the heat that we experienced yesterday that is on in full blast today with these high winds will likely continue all the way through at least Sunday for the vast majority of the state outside of the northwestern panhandle and potentially the southern panhandle on Sunday. And then the the high-pressure ridge itself is expected to move toward the east somewhat. That will allow that trough to basically pull a cold front into the region and cool us down, particularly as we get into Sunday night and through Monday. So the big question is how much moisture will be associated with this system, particularly in those areas the state have been missing out on many of these numerous precipitation events. The general uh, consensus from the models is to bring anywhere from one to two inches of moisture into the panhandle with thunderstorm activity and then progressively less totals as you move toward the south and the east. And then as we get into later next week, we start to see the ridge trying to rebuild back into the region. That will push the warmer air into our region. We'll get into a situation that was set up similar to what we've seen earlier this week where we had precipitation breaking out right along the Kansas-Nebraska border. I expect to see the same type of pattern develop with this system. Where we get the heaviest precipitation remains to be seen. The models are basically shifting back and forth from day to day. Fingers crossed, right now the models indicate that that will set up over eastern Nebraska. So that would at least alleviate some of these short-term moisture concerns. But in the long stretch of things, we've got a lot of moisture to recover in southern Nebraska. And, of course, with the crop coming closer and closer toward the pollination stage water use is increasing dramatically and at this point in time we should normally receive an inch and a quarter in the southeastern portion of the state per week around three quarters of an inch in the northwest portion of the state so just to stay status quo we need to see that type of precipitation in order to cut into the deficits of course 
couple inches a week. And I think that's the major concern that even with the heavy precipitation event, it comes all at once. We see a, little, a, a, a significant surge or runoff from that. We get a couple inches into the profile, and then we're sitting there lost waiting for the next precipitation event. So we will see whether or not the second precipitation event later next week does materialize because if it doesn't, then we have to wait again for a few more days before the next opportunity. And we, you know, with these temperatures rebounding back to the 90s, of course, the stress would occur. And with corn basically across the state anywhere between primarily the V6 and the V10 stage, right now the stress is going to impact your, your ear rows. But once we get to that V12 stage, of course, any heat stress at that point is going to start having the impact on the number of kernels per row. And then, of course, past the pollination period, we get into the grain field. Those high nighttime temperatures become a concern. All right. Thanks, Al. Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist Al Dutcher. For more, you can visit RuralRadio.com. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time to check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, day two of the U.S. Open has a different look with light winds, cool temperatures, and drizzle under gray skies agree to the early starters. After brutal conditions in the opening round that sent sore scoring, players returned today in hopes of making a few more birdies. Dustin Johnson had the lead at 4-under, heading into his 17th hole of the day. Kevin Heffley of Eustace is competing this weekend at the Desert Challenge Games in Arizona as he continues to try to become a member of the U.S. paraplegic track and field team. Heffley started this quest a couple of years ago and has no regrets. The journey's been something unbelievable. Going from an alcoholic, um, I'll be sober three years of August, going from an alcoholic um, now to trying to make Team USA has been quite a journey, you know. First and foremost, I had to get my life back on track, and then once I did that, um, other things started to change for me. And Hepley is competing in both the 100 and the 200-meter dashes, and he has high goals. I, so pretty much this year to make Team USA is just for me to say I've made Team USA. Get that monkey kind of off my back, um, kind of be able to train farther forward, get faster and faster. Um, next year, I have, to, I have to make the team again every year. Um, and next year, if I make the team, I would go to the World Championships in Dubai. Hefley lost his left foot in 2005 due to a hunting accident. Two of the National League's top pitchers this season face off tonight when the Cubs open up a weekend series in St. Louis. John Lester takes them out for the Cubs, who are coming off two straight losses at Milwaukee. The left-hander is 7-2 and and fourth in the NL and ERA this year at 2.22. Michael Waka starts for the Cardinals. They're just 4-5 and five in their last nine games, but Waka is 8-1 and one this year with an ERA under 2.5. Elsewhere in the majors, Colorado shortstop Trevor Story gets to play a big league game near his home for the first time when the Rockies open up an interleague series against Texas. The stadium in Arlington is only a few miles from Story's hometown of Irving. The Rockies last played at Texas in 2016, which was Story's standout rookie year, but Story, the 45th overall pick in the 2011 draft, suffered a season-ending left thumb injury about two weeks before that series was to start. Another Texas native starts the opener for the Rockies is right-hander Chad Bettis, who's from Lubbock and went to Texas Tech. And Hastings is hosting the eight-man all-star football game tomorrow night at Hastings College. Kickoff is set for 6 Central. The West team is coached this year by Luke Gidding and Burwell. Greg Wood of High Plains is the head coach for the East. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network.
Sunny and hot today with a high near 96 for tonight. Partly cloudy, a low of around 72. And then for Saturday, sunny and hot with a high near 96. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Scott Foster. The Senate Ag Committee passed its version of the Farm Bill on Wednesday. Committee member Senator Deb Fisher says it provides farmers and ranchers with the tools and certainty they need to feed the world. This package builds off of Congress's existing commitment to expand broadband deployment to the most underserved and rural areas by prioritizing projects that provide broadband to the most rural areas. We can boost connectivity, assisting in bringing the next generation back to the farm and enhancing our agricultural productivity. The legislation was approved on a 20 to 1 vote. The no vote came from Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley. He objected to the measure's hemp provision, saying it should have been handled within the Judiciary Committee that he chairs. He also wants to tighten eligibility standards for farm subsidies to target them to working farmers, closing a loophole that allows family members who do not work on a farm to claim them as well. A Hayes Center woman was named to Miss Teen Rodeo Nebraska this week in North Platte. Rebel Sekaloja is a recent graduate of Maywood High School. This isn't the first time that Sekaloja entered the Miss Teen Rodeo pageant. I actually received runner-up to the title the previous two years. And every year I ask myself, you know, is this something I keep, you know, is this something I still want to pursue? Is this something I still want to keep doing? And Every year the answer was still yes, and I am so glad that I came back for a third try. Sekloja plans to attend the University of Nebraska-Lincoln this fall to study ag communications. The city of Blantyre in the South African nation of Malawi has a population of 1.1 million and is a sister city with Norfolk, Nebraska. The mayor of Blantyre, along with city council members and the Malawi ambassador to the U.S., has traveled to the northeast Nebraska town this last year. This month, Norfolk officials returned the favor. Norfolk Mayor Josh Moaning. Our visit uh, just last week was in part reciprocating that, uh, that relationship. So we were able to have a sister city ceremony with the mayor of Blantyre and the city councilors. And in addition, the graduation of 12 seniors from Norfolk schools in Malawi happened last week. So we were able to attend that ceremony. Norfolk Schools in Malawi was established by a doctor from Malawi that now lives in Norfolk. The 12 graduates from Norfolk Schools in Malawi are planning to attend Northeast Community College in Norfolk. Storm Center coverage 24-7. Catch it on air, on Twitter, Facebook, and online at krvn.com. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Scott Foster. Good afternoon on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. All this week we've talked about exports and their importance to the county level. It all came together last night with the International Trade Town Hall in Lexington with six panelists talking to the audience about the importance of exports, many of them which we heard right here on the Rural Radio Network. Following the event, I talked with a person that was very influential in getting it all to come together. That's Earl Linderman. He is a business person and a local banker in the Dawson County area. And Earl gives us a little insight to how he felt the event went. And I felt that their real-world experiences that they brought to the meeting tonight were extremely helpful in illustrating the importance of exports and, and also imports. 
when we think of international trade, it really involves both. But I, I was pleased. Uh, I, in talking to folks after the meeting, I, I think they felt like they left the meeting tonight with a better understanding than they came in through the door with uh, as they arrived. And that was our goal, was to inform and to educate and also to, to motivate, to motivate people to get involved, contact their policymakers, and talk to their neighbors, uh, talk to their relatives that live in the county, and share the message. Nearly 100 people were in attendance at the Lexington International Trade Town Hall, and following the event, the folks came up to the speakers, and many of them stayed and talked. So I asked Earl, what was one common, number one common theme that folks really probably took away from this? Well, I think the, the key, um, and it's not really a single number, but it's more of a, a theme of the numbers, is the impact that it has on our entire community. Uh, it's not just ag producers, it's not just the, the owners of businesses, it's the employees, uh, it's the folks that work in ancillary services, whether it's in, in health care, education. Uh, this, this really impacts each and every one of us in the community, and that's really one of the, the biggest messages that we're trying to get through is the theme of our meeting was uh, a world away and yet very close to home, and that's really when we thought it through, that we couldn't come up with anything that, that uh, was more telling as to why this is such an important issue to our entire community. As I said in my comments toward the end of the meeting, we put food on the tables of people around the world as a county and as a state. And in return for that, the dollars that flow back, the money that flows back, not only puts food on our tables, but it puts clothes in the closet. It puts cars in the garages. It helps us send our kids to school. And that's what's really important. And I, as, a, as a banker for 35 years, I understand the importance of economic development and also trade as a, as a component of that. And as some of the panelists said tonight, the growth in agriculture, we're growing production at a fairly fast clip. And on a compounded basis, it really adds up year over year. The United States cannot consume what we produce. They cannot consume that additional production. And it has to be exported. And so our export markets are critical to the continued increases in production efficiencies and uh, the amount of product that we produce. We also produce the highest quality food products. Among any country in the world, we can compete on quality. And as people around the world upgrade their diets, which they're doing, particularly in the developing countries, we fill that need, and that's critically important. Towards the end of the town hall, the speaker's thought and rhetoric turned from all the uh, possibilities of losing international trade, and they started looking at the opportunities and how to continue building international trade. And Earl really gives us a good insight into what some of the opportunities for Dawson County and for Nebraska are in building more export-type opportunities. I think there's a tremendous opportunity. We have relatively uh, inexpensive electrical power. When you look at us comparatively, we, uh, in banking we look at what's called a, a, a competitive advantage or a series of competitive advantages. And I'll, I'll list what I see in Dawson County. We have very competitive utility rates. We have an abundance of, of water, both rainfall and irrigation water. We have abundant sunshine. We have wind power. Uh, we have hydropower and we have solar power. So we're using our natural resources to create products that have considerable value for people around the world. So we're taking the natural resources that we have, we're combining it with the hard work and the, uh, the industrious nature of, of people in Nebraska, and we're combining those into products that have significant value, not only here in the United States, but around the globe. 
The night ended with the talk of a petition for people to sign and urging elected representatives and other officials to consider the importance of international trade and exports not only to the county but to the Main Street level as well. Uh, CED developed a petition uh, through a series of four meetings. Uh, as a working group, we not only had CED members but we had members from the community at large. And we came up with a petition that we felt would be a one-size-fits-all, if you will. It's fairly generic, it's fairly broad, but that's by design. And it really has two themes. We're asking our policymakers to do no harm. Uh, in other words, don't let's not erode the value of our current uh, trade agreements. And the other is, let's optimize the opportunities to make them better. And I know that sounds fairly generic, but that's by design. And the purpose of the meeting tonight was just to give people information and to hopefully motivate them to, to use their voice to communicate their message to policymakers. We're not, we didn't even develop talking points. We talked about it, we discussed it. We didn't even want to develop talking points because we did not want to confine anyone's comments or thoughts in any way. We're just trying to stimulate conversation, stimulate and provoke thought and let it go from there. That again, Earl Linderman, Dawson County banker, as well as orchestrator behind the Lexington International Trade Town Hall. If you followed along with the Rural Radio Network this week and would like to hear our interviews again, you can visit RuralRadio.com under the podcast link, as well as in our feature article section. International trade a world away, so yet very close to home, and here on the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson back on the Rural Radio Network. Joe Teal of Great Plains Commodities on vacation today. Well, we saw sharp losses even early this morning in the live and feeder cattle futures. That quickly gave way to aggressive gains. We had those triple-digit gains, and we also saw near-limit-up moves. At one time, the August live cattle contract did move up the $3 limit, ended up $290 lower. Now, this is allowing for expanded trade. The markets uh, seeing the cash cattle trade really set on pushing sales into late afternoon. Bids haven't moved very far. As more market activity is seen in all areas, the bids have come in at 110 live, 175 to 178 dress trade. Now, the sharp market rally could have some late-day support as feedlot managers to continue to ask for higher prices, 117 to 118 live and 188 on address trade. As we told you, the aggressive buyer support flooded into the feeder cattle market. However, we saw some strong buyer support for a time in the lean hog futures that fell back later in the session. Now, there was a report yesterday of about 9,400 cattle selling in Nebraska at 110 live basis, 1678 on a dress trade, but that was for extended delivery. Total cattle slaughter for the first six days this week has been estimated at 654,000, 4,000 less than last week, 15,000 more than a year ago. Hog slaughter projected for the week, 2,215,000, 56,000 less than last week, but 40,000 more than one year ago. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. We're back this week with another edition of Fridays in the Field. I'm Bryce Duskid on the Rural Radio Network. This week, we're near Waverly, Nebraska. We hear comments from Andrew Newyear, who's in his first year as a full-time farmer upon his graduation from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. 
Looks good. We could, I mean, like every farmer says, we could always use rain, but um, we're looking, we're doing all right so far. Even on a hot June day, Andrew New Year says the 2018 growing season has progressed well. The 23-year-old is no stranger to the farm, but he is now officially full-time. I graduated from college in 2017, came back to the family farm operation. We've got a corn and soybean uh, farm. We do all rotated acres, a little bit of irrigation. Returning to the farm was an easy choice for Andrew, but he says there are barriers for beginning operators. There are also more decisions that need to be made. Um, the biggest challenge is probably financial. Um, going to the bank, getting some loans, and then, um, like I've done all the manual labor and stuff before, but the decision making is probably a bigger thing that I haven't really thought about before. What seeds to buy, what chemicals to buy, who to buy them from, what fertilizers to put on. Andrew knew he'd be back on the farm at some point, but he wasn't positive how soon that day would come. What kick-started my decision to farm, uh, my uncle decided to slow down a little bit with his acres. He still farms quite a bit. Um, but he gave some of the acres that he and my dad rent together to me to, to give me a little start. Um, then I had another guy approach me in the community who wanted to focus on uh, cattle. Uh, so I got a bulk of his acres. Uh, he saw an opportunity for a young guy to come back. And then uh, I picked up some acres from a third guy who was running into a few health issues. Um, was more than happy to help kickstart the next generation for farming. Near Waverly, Nebraska, the soil is friendly to Nebraska's top row crop commodities. Um, I'd say most every farmer in this area is corn and soybean uh, on rotation. Um, a couple of guys plant wheat just to change it up or because they have too many acres to harvest during corn and soybean. Um, mostly just that, a little bit of alfalfa, but not a whole ton. The planting season was also friendly this year. And with the help of some fertilizer, the crop is progressing well. So far, so good. Um, didn't have any major breakdowns. We got everything in. We we're a little late started, uh, as most people were across the state, but we got everything wrapped up, um, corn and soybeans both, by early May. Uh, we put down on our corn acres a pre-fertilizer with our pre-chemicals, 32% um, nitrogen. And then we came through with the planter and put on some 1034 um, five gallons per acre with that. Um, I guess before that in the fall and in the spring we had anhydrous. Uh, so that's our, our nitrogen program. Weeds are now beginning to make their presence known. Corn spraying uh, last week and then we're moving on to beans right now as the wind uh, presents a challenge for us. Uh, a lot of water hemp, a lot of mare's tail is the big stuff. A little bit of grass here and there. Um, but yeah, water hemp and mare's tail are big, big challengers. According to the U.S. climate data, the southeast portion of the state receives an annual rainfall of 28.94 inches. Our topsoil moisture is a little short. We've got a little bit um, underneath that's making those corn roots stretch way down, which will be really good for the plant. Um, we, we're, we're not quite there yet, but we're a little bit abnormally dry as far as the drought monitor goes. That was Andrew Newyear, a farmer near Waverly, Nebraska. We'll catch back up with Andrew a bit later in the growing season. I'm Bryce Duskett reporting on the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. As we watch the grain markets close today, soybeans were the leader to the downside as much as 23 cents. We're joined by Tom Dosdall from Daniels Trading and publisher of the grain newsletter Technical Ag Knowledge. 
Well, the knowledge is now that China is imposing tariffs on 25% on um, 545 U.S. products just announced. Now, is that one of the reasons why soybeans sank into the uh, close of trading? Yes, absolutely, Dewey. That's got to be a reason that's forcing the sellers to push this thing harder to the downside into the close and just no willing buyers in the market until we get some more positive news. Did it affect the corn and wheat that much? You know, one thing we I came when we opened up this morning, the soybeans were down around twenty cents after the overnight corn was down six. Uh, we finished the day soybeans down about twenty three, and corn down only three quarters of a cent. So, all things considered, actually corn showed some resiliency despite the weakness in the beans. Um, the wheat also is uh, down just one to three, which is well off the lows from overnight. And maybe the weather is a, a little bit of a factor here in that corn market. Do you see that that uh, that possibility of heat, dryness, parts of the corn and soybean belt might be helping corn? And does it have, should I say, the most upside potential at this point? Well, the the soybeans are so oversold on some traditional technical indicators. They could be due for a bounce at any time, and that bounce could be it could exceed any rally in corn. However. The balance sheet is definitely a lot tighter for corn than it is compared to soybeans, and I think the weather is one thing that's somewhat supportive. However, remember on Tuesday, it seems like ancient history, but that was a very supportive USDA report on Tuesday as well, long term. Now, maybe corn will be reacting to what wheat can do next week as well, right? Yeah, it it may be. Oftentimes, the last few weeks, corn has kind of been caught in the middle uh, tug of war here between soybeans and wheat, and that may be likely to continue going forward. You're looking at uh, wheat. When we get more wheat harvest reports in, will that sway the market one way or the other? You know, I I don't know if that will sway the market as much as the global weather will. I'm watching much more uh, as far as the forecasts for the Black Sea regions as well as Australia and parts of Europe. I think that's kind of what the wheat is uh, is following the most right now, uh, more so than the early harvest reports. And also the fact that exports kind of struggle on this wheat anytime we get up near that top end of the range, around 550 on the KC price. That again, Tom Dosdall, Daniel's Ag Trading. For more information, go to technicalagknowledge.com. Dewey Nelson reporting. 